so there I was. It was first thing in the morning. I had gotten up. I was going out to work. I was going to be at work on time, which is a, a thing that I try to do. I like to be on time. And I get out to my car, and oh, there's a flat tire. Oh, my gosh. Isn't that just like the thing that will just ruin your day quicker than just about anything else? To get out and you think everything is good and right or you, you hit the key and your car won't start or you look down and your tire is just as flat as it can be. This is where I was this morning and I was ready to go. So I was like, you know what? I can change a tire. I'm pretty quick. I got this. So I open up the trunk, I pull out the spare, I pull out the, the lug wrench and the jack, and I get everything set up, ready to go, and I go to take my tires off, and I remember something very important. I have a lock lug on my tires. Now, if you don't know what a lock lug is, it's this specially designed lug nut that when you put it on, you have to have a special key to get the thing off. Like you can't just use your regular lug wrench. You have to have a special key. And so there I was unable to find my lock lug key because I had gone the week before and gotten a new tire put on and had given it to the guy at the tire place. He put the tire on and apparently didn't give me back my key. At least that's the story I'm telling because I'm not going to admit that I lost it. I don't know what happened. All I know is I had it and then I didn't. But this morning I needed it. And so I'm trying to figure out what to do. I was like, well, all right, I call work. I'm like, hey, I'm going to be late. I'm going to get this figured out because Ashley had somewhere she had to be that day. I couldn't just take the van for all day. So I went quickly, drove over to Advance, bought another lock lug set, came back to the house, got down. I was like, oh, this looks the same. We're ready to go. They're called keys for a reason, guys. They, uh, they are specially designed. They're just slightly off and you have to have the exact right one. You can't just go buy another one. It has to be the exact right one, which I guess makes sense if they're there to keep people from stealing your tires. But uh, so there I am trying to get stuff figured out. Ashley has already left and gone to the aquarium with the kids or something. It's just me at the house trying to get to work. And so I start Googling because that's what I do. I'm a problem solver. I know that's how you solve problems is you Google it. So I Google it and they're like, hey, here's all you got to do. Go get a socket that is just a little bit smaller than your lug. And take a hammer and hammer that socket on. And then you'll be able to get it off because it'll create its own little key. And I was like, all right, cool. So I spent the next three hours hammering sockets onto this lug. This, this one, not, not four lock lugs, not one for every, every tire, just this one tire. I'm just trying. And it slips and you got to hold it with the pliers. And you gotta, it was crazy. It was the longest thing. And I learned something very important right there. You have to have the right tool for the job, or it's not going to go well for you. Uh, for those of you that don't know me, my name is Patrick. I am one of the volunteers here at Venture Church, and it is my honor and privilege today to be able to share with you and wrap up this mini teaching series that we're doing called Under Construction. Uh, Chris started it last week talking about going in and ripping out and tearing out the, the things that are bad and getting rid of them and called that repentance. And if you didn't get a chance to listen to him last week, go check it out on the podcast or on YouTube or even on Facebook. If you just go click around, you'll find it. It's all over the place now because that's the world that we live in, that our media just goes everywhere. So go check that out. Listen to that message because it is really well done. And I'm not just saying that because Chris is in the room. But this week, I want to continue that metaphor of that construction analogy of that whole idea 
because I, I want to do this. I, I brought my toolbox with me. You like that? It's, this is, I've had this toolbox. I got it as a wedding present 13 years ago. And uh, I, I've kept it ever since. And I do keep tools in it. So that's pretty cool. But this is my toolbox. And, and I brought some tools. Uh, some good things. You know, I got some, uh, some clamps. I use these all the time for holding stuff in, in place. You can just put it right there. It holds things. It's great. Uh, this is a square and a level. So you can make sure your squares don't fall over. That one's really handy. You can do stuff with that. Uh, these are, are pliers. You use those to ply things. Uh, I'm a fan of that. Uh, this is a lug nut remover. Uh, if you have lock lugs and you don't have the key. So there you go. So those, those are some tools, but those tools are all for building up material things, right? Those are, are tools that, that you would have at your house to work on wood or to work on your doors or to work on your, your car or whatever's going on. But what I want to talk about are some different tools. Uh, the tools that we can use after we have done that clean out, after we have done that repentance, where we've gotten rid of things and turned back to God, we've got everything pulled down to the studs. What do we need then? to build up our spiritual lives, to build up our spiritual attitudes, to build up our spiritual walk with Jesus. And so there are some special tools for that. And I'm going to tell you, there are lots and lots and lots of those tools. There, there are tons and tons of them, and I'm not going to be able to go through all of them because I probably don't even know all of them. You know, if I tried to make an exhaustive list, somebody would be like, oh, Patrick, but you forgot this. And I'd be like, oh, I did. I don't know how I did that. But I picked out a couple, uh, three actually, that... I believe will be universally recognized as useful tools for building up your life in Jesus. Do you want to check those out with me? It's, it's going to be fantastic. This is the first tool right here. Uh, this is the Bible. Uh, it's hard to tell because I've had this one for a long time. Uh, when I was in college, I decided to wrap it in duct tape to make it look more like a tool, I guess. I, I don't know. Duct tape is a great tool also, but the Bible is even, even better because this is the Holy Scripture. This is the living and breathing word of God. And everything that we need to know and do and see and feel and experience can be seen through the lens of this. Uh, check out this verse in 2 Timothy. It's verse 3.16. It says, All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. It, God uses it to prepare and equip His people to do every good work. Or I love this verse from the Hebrews writer in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. It says, For the word of God is alive and powerful and sharper than even the sharpest two-edged sword. Let's see if I can set that. Yeah. Sharper, even the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow, it exposes our inmost thoughts and desires. And I love that because the word of God is alive. The word of God is useful. It teaches us. It grows us. It shows us the light and the path. And it has the uncanny ability to cut directly to the heart of what matters and to shine in light and understanding in nearly every situation that you're going to face in this world. Nearly everything that you're going to go through, you can find something in that word of God that will help you, that will guide you, that will put you in the right path and on the right way. It builds a foundation to prepare us for when the storms come. Just like Miss Bethel was talking about in the Venture Kids moment about the wise man building his house on the rock. This is, this is the rock, the word of God. 
But here is a very important truth. And you're going to learn this about the tools that we talk about today, every one of them. But here's a very important truth. If you don't use it, it doesn't do you any good. If you don't pick it up, if you don't hold it, if you don't learn how to make it function, tool doesn't do you any good. I've got a Craig jig in here. Uh, where did it go? I lost it. Anyway, I've got one. There it is. I've got a Craig jig in here. I have tried many a times to make this thing work. I have watched many YouTube videos. I can't make it work. I don't know what to do with it. But I love it. And I keep it. Uh, Maria's over there going, I'll teach you, Patrick. Uh, but we've got to know how to do it. We've got to know how to make it work. And if we can do that, then it will change the way we do everything. There's a really amazing story in the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Uh, he has just come to his own. He's just become an adult. He's gone to see John the Baptist and been baptized by him. And the heavens opened up and God says, this is my son who I am well pleased. And then Jesus goes out in the wilderness. And this is in Matthew chapter 4. And I want to read this to you. Uh, if you have your scripture, you can turn there. Uh, Matthew chapter 4. The, the passage is actually going to say it wrong up here because I've got my numbers inverted. But uh, it says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting for 40 days and nights, he was hungry. Now, for those of you that don't know what fasting is, if you might not, it is when you abstain from something for the purpose of focusing on prayer or worship or something else. And so you cut that out for a while. In the Bible, when it talks about fasting, it almost always is talking about food. So Jesus fasted. He abstained from food. He didn't eat for 40 days and nights. And the Bible tells us he was very hungry. Uh, that just makes sense to me. Of course he was. Why wouldn't he have been hungry? And so he was very, very hungry. And the tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. If you're hungry and you're God, you created everything, make the stones into bread. And Jesus says, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word out of the mouth of God. And he quotes scripture. And then verse four uh, or verse five, the devil says, took him to the holy city, to the highest point of the temple. And he says, Jump off because the scriptures say, if you throw yourself down, it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so you will not strike your foot against stone. Jesus said, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in all their splendor. And he says, all this I will give to you. If you will bow down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And then the devil left and the angels came and attended him. Do you, do you see what Jesus is doing here? He has taken the holy word. He has taken the scriptures and he has used them to build a barrier, to build a wall, to build something that will stop all of the lies and temptation that Satan brings against him. And it's not with divine power. It's not with the command from God. It's not with any kind of special language or any kind of special supplements, but with the living and breathing word of God. He took and built a wall out of scripture that was sharper than any two-edged sword. And the temptations of the devil just dashed themselves upon it. And friends, we get to do that same thing. If we bring this into our lives, if we use this tool, the tool of scripture, and we pour it into ourselves and build that foundation, we get that same ability. We need to build up that wall, that impenetrable fortress of God's word to protect our hearts 
to protect our minds from the darknesses and the temptations of this world. The, the longest chapter of scripture in the Bible is Psalm 119. It's actually a concrete poem that goes through the entire Hebrew alphabet and talks about just one thing through all of it. And that is the word of God and how great the scriptures are and how powerful they are. In fact, most of the time in your Bibles, if they don't have a lot of appendices, if you go to the middle of your Bible and open it up, you're going to fall somewhere in the Psalm 119 range. And the whole thing is about how great the word of God is. But my favorite verse in the whole, the whole of it is 119.11, where it says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I have brought this tool into my life and I built a wall to protect me from the sin and temptations of this world. Isn't that fantastic? That is our first tool. This is how we use the tool of scripture. We hold it in our minds. We keep it in our hearts. And, and yes, even, even on our phones. You know, like It's good to do that too. Put it on your phone. Download the app. The Bible app is free and it's fantastic. And it's got lots of different translations. So you can find one that reads easy to you and that you understand well. And you can set notifications for it to send you a verse of the day or to remind you to do a Bible study. And it's even got those in there for you. Do that because while memorization is probably the absolute best way to do it, knowing how to get to it and how to find it and how to search it is just as important. If you're like, man, I just can't memorize all that. It's okay. Have it available. Have it ready. And it is still a useful tool. I may have to look up how to use something, but if I can find it, we can do it. And so put it on your phone, do that whole thing, and it will make a difference in how you do. So that's, that's the first tool, the tool of the Word of God, the tool of Scripture. Here, here's our second one, and uh, I didn't have any of those little uh, pictures of God with the praying hands or any of the statues of praying hands. Some of you probably do, but I grabbed the phone. And, and you're going to see why I grabbed the phone for this as I talk about prayer. Because if Scripture is our first tool for building the foundation, Prayer is the next one. Because you see, Scripture is God talking to us. It's Him pouring His light and love and understanding into us. It's giving us the blueprints and the plans. But prayer is us responding to God. It's us having quick access to Him. It's the building of foundation. It's the next logical tool and We'll talk a little bit about why I picked the cell phone for that in just a minute. But as I started thinking about prayer, I started thinking about some of the rules that I learned from prayer. Because if, if it's a tool and we want to know how to use it correctly, we need to know what the rules are. And I thought about when I was a kid and the rules that I learned for prayer. And uh, if you grew up in the church, see if these sound familiar to you at all. Uh, the first one was, if at all possible, you should be on your knees. Like if you're really going to pray uh, being on your knees is best. And, and then the next best physical motion is, is your hands together like this. If you're not doing that, it's not really prayer. Uh, is what I learned. I'm not saying this is true now. I'm just saying that's what they told me as a kid. You know, growing up, um, you have to speak very clearly and precisely and properly. And whenever possible, use these and thous. That was the thing I learned as a kid about prayers. Um, this the next one was most important. Uh, under no circumstance... Are you to open your eyes during prayer? Uh, it, it completely invalidates a prayer, is what I was told when I was a kid, if you open your eyes. Uh, and uh, if someone else is praying, if you're listening to someone else pray, you're not allowed to move at all for any reason, not even to breathe. I swear, honestly, I was actually told this as a child. 
Someone said, you're breathing too much. You just hold your breath until he's done. I, you can't make this stuff up. This is real, real stuff that I learned about prayer. But there was one exception to that last rule. If you were in a circle prayer, as you're going around, you can move one hand to squeeze the hand next to you if you didn't want to pray out loud that day or if you were all done but didn't say in Jesus' name and there's just a pause, you just squeeze your hand. That was the one time you could move during prayer. This is what I was taught as a kid. Some of you may have just rode that wave of nostalgia and you're nodding your head. Some of you are like, man, that sounds crazy. And, and it is. It absolutely was uh, crazy. But that was the rules I was taught. And I've learned so much about prayer over the years, as I've studied the word, as I have talked to different people, as I've read different books and seen different things and heard different messages. And I've learned that prayer is something very different than that. Because that was very formal. That was very written down. That was very, you could just follow this pattern and it was all you needed to do. But what I've learned about prayer is that prayer is a conversation with God. Prayer is taking a moment and sharing with him. It's a conversation with someone that you love and that loves you back more than you could ever understand. See, that's what, that's what prayer is. And prayer doesn't have to be flowery. It doesn't have to have all the right words. It doesn't have to be spoken in a clear, concise voice. In fact, in Matthew chapter five or chapter six, verse five, it says, when, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. And truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep babbling on like pagans, for they will be heard. They, they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ever ask Him. See, prayer is not about getting all the right words out. You're not praying and having this conversation with God to tell Him something that He doesn't already know. Because God already knows. He just wants to hear it from you. Because He loves you. And he wants to be your bestest friend. Think about your friends. If your best friend got engaged to be married, wouldn't you want to hear it from them? Not from a Facebook post, not from an announcement in the newspaper if they still do that kind of thing. Not from stuff like that. You want to, you want to hear from them. You want them to come and talk to you, to, to, to have that moment with you. Or if someone gets pregnant or someone has a baby, you want to hear it from them because you want to see it in their eyes. You want to see their joy. You want to see their passion. You want to see the happiness that's on their face as they tell you. Maybe if somebody gets a new pet. Yeah, that's my new puppy. We got her yesterday. Her name's River Song. Uh, we're excited about her. her. Her official name is Aretha Franklin, but that was a bit much for us. So we're going to call her River Song. And uh, right now she's probably chasing Leia around the living room and it'll be great. But I, I wanted to tell you that because I love you guys and I want you to share it. And I want you to hear it from me and not just see a post on Facebook or just a, a whatever because it's important. And God wants that same thing with us. And it's not just the good stuff. It's the bad stuff too. When, when you are hurt and when you have things that are dragging you down, don't you want to go and tell somebody about it? 
Somebody that you love, somebody that loves you back and that's going to see what's going on in your life and still want to be a part of your life. Guys, that's who God wants to be for you. And that's what prayer is all about. That, that's why I said the cell phone, because that's what we're going to grab when we're going to talk to somebody. We're going to grab a cell phone. We're going to call them up. Or we're going to send them a text message or a Marco Polo or a Duo or a, uh, whatever they do on iPhones. I don't know what it is, but that's how we communicate right now because of this pandemic. And so this is what prayer is. It's reaching out to that friend that might not be physically in the room with you right now, but wants to be spiritually in your heart all the time. And so we reach out with prayer. And, and I love what Paul says in the book of Philippians. Uh, Philippians 4, starting at verse 6, he says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition and with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And then again in 1 Thessalonians, he says, Rejoice always. Pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Jesus Christ. This is what we're supposed to pray about and how we're supposed to pray about everything and all the time. Shooting out those text messages. Send, send. God, thank you so much for today. God, thank you that I made it through that light. God, thank you that my cat didn't throw up on me again today. I, he wants to hear about it. All of the good stuff, all of the bad stuff, and not because he doesn't know, but because he wants to hear it from you. Because you are important. Because he loves you very, very much. So that's our second tool. So first we have the scripture that starts to build that foundation of God talking to us. And then we have prayer that lets us talk back to God and him talk to us a little bit more and it builds the foundation up even more. And then we got one more tool and uh, this one's a special tool. I got them a little baggy right here. You see that? That's uh, a bunch of little Lego guys. They're all construction guys. I just saw one of them have a head, but that's okay. Uh, those guys, those guys are, uh, they're tools. People are tools. That's right. I called you a tool, but it's okay because it was in the best kind of way because you are useful to other people. You are absolutely useful to other people because here's what I know about human beings. We were not created to do this alone. We were not created to live lives by ourselves. We were not created to not have interaction, to not have people that love us, to not have people that can help us and guide us and tell us when we're being crazy and tell us when we're doing the right things. That's not who we are. That's not who, who people are. And so we've got to have people in our lives. We're going to seek out the people that are like-minded, that have the same beliefs, that have the same hobbies, that have the same desires for their lives as we do. Because we're not made to be alone. Other people around us, it is essential to our lives. But here's the, the caveat to that. They need to be the right people. You hear me, friends? They, they need to be the right people, the people that will point us back to God, the people that will help us to do that clean out that we need to do every single day to get back ready to go with building up our foundation. Because you're never going to do all of the things that God wants for your life if you aren't surrounded by the right people. Do you understand what I'm saying, friends? I, you've heard it. This is not new. This is not something Patrick came up with. You've heard it many different ways. Uh, somebody says, show me your friends, and I'll show you your future. 
Another person I saw said, your friends will determine the direction and the quality of your life. One of the newest things that's going around the internet right now as I looked around was that you are the average of the five people that you spend the most time with. And if you think about it, you know it's true. Just take a second. Think about how the practices and the attitudes of the people that are around you affect your life. If you work at a job where everybody is miserable and everybody's complaining and everybody hates what's going on and doesn't like the management and doesn't like what you're doing, guess what? you are probably not going to like your job either. Even if it was something that you really enjoyed, even if it was something that you really thought highly of, they're going to drag you down. They're going to pull you down. But if you're in a job where everybody's like, man, this is great and I'm so excited. I can't wait to get to work and we're going to do good things today. Then your attitude is going to raise up and you're going to feel better about it. The same thing's true with your, with your friends. If you have friends that are always bashing on their spouse, that are always tearing down their marriage, that are always complaining about how they do something or how they don't do something or the lives that they're living, you're going to start looking at your own life, at your own choices and go, am I making the right ones? And instead of looking for the good, you're going to look for the bad and you're going to seek that out. But if you surround yourself with people that are going to talk great about their spouse and tell you how wonderful they are and tell you about all the good things that they're doing and how happy they are in their marriage, guess what you're going to look for? You're going to look for those moments that things are good in your marriage because we are influenced by the people that are around us. But what does that mean if your closest friends aren't Christians? Or say they're Christians but don't actually do anything to prove it. How is that going to affect your life? How is that going to affect your ability to shine light in the dark places? Something to think about. I'm, I want to share one more story with you today. It's a really quick story. It's from the Old Testament. Uh, it's about Jonathan, the, the son of King Saul. And that's not Saul that turned into Paul, but Saul, the first king of Israel. And uh, one of the things to know about Saul is that throughout his short reign, he spent a lot of time fighting against the Philistines. And we're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 14. If you want to go ahead and turn there in your Bibles, if you have those handy, uh, or on your phone if you've downloaded the app since we talked, started talking about that earlier. Uh, we're going to be in 1 Samuel 14. And in 1 Samuel 13, we learn that the Philistine occupation of Israel has gotten so much that they've gone through and killed all of the Israelite blacksmiths. They said, you can't have a blacksmith. If someone sets up a smithy, we're going to come and kill them because we don't want you making weapons. If you need to get your hoe or your sickle or your shovel sharpened, you have to go over to uh, the Philistine blacksmith over there and pay him to do it because we want to make sure you can't have any weapons. This is where they are. And so finally, one day, King Saul says, I can't take it anymore. I've had all his eyes stands, can't stand it anymore. And he gathers up a bunch of Israelite soldiers, 600 which if you look at the numbers in the Bible, that's not a whole lot. And he goes and he sets up camp just down the road from a Philistine encampment. And they sit there and they camp for a while. Uh, I'm not even sure how long they're there, but I know that they're there long enough that, that Jonathan one day decides he can't wait any longer himself and decides that he's going to go right over to the Philistine encampment and do something. Uh, we're going to pick up in verse 4 of 1 Samuel 14. It says, On each side of the pass that Jonathan intended to cross to reach the Philistine outpost was a cliff. 
One was called Bozes and the other Sine. One cliff stood to the north toward Michmash and the other stood toward, uh, to the south toward Geba. And as I was doing some research on this passage, it seems that this, these places were mentioned for a specific reason. This was a well-known location, a well-known pass that they believed if you had this pass guarded, that it was impenetrable, that you could not get through it. In fact, those names of uh, Bozaz and Sine, Bozaz meant slippery or oozy, if you want to get technical, and Sine was thorny. So you were stuck between a sticky place, an oozy place, and a thorny place, and you didn't want to go there. It was difficult terrain. It was not an easy thing to do, but this is what Jonathan chose to, to do. And so it goes on. And he moves forward in verse 6. He says, Jonathan said to his young armor bearer, come, let's go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised men, which was a slur. It was a bad thing back then. Don't worry about it now, guys. Um, Perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. Can you just see Jonathan now? I want you to picture this. Jonathan's a young man, probably in his mid-20s. He's a warrior born and bred, and he's got his armor bearer, which would have been a younger man that all his job was to do was to run around with his shield and say, I'm going to sit in front of you, and I'm going to make sure that you don't get hit with arrows while you're trying to do stuff. And John looks over and says, all right, come on, buddy. We're going to go over there to the enemy encampment. It's going to be great. We're going to sneak in way in the back. It's going to be fine. It's going to be good. And, you know, the little guys in there going, but they, they got us outnumbered and outmatched and outgeared and out everything. Why are we going to do this? And John says, nah, come on, dude. It'll be all right because God loves us and he's going to do good things. All we got to do is go. And so I love this because verse 7, this young man answers. And this is what he says. He says, do all that you have in mind. Go ahead. I am with you, heart and soul. I am with you, heart and soul. I am with you completely. This is, this is the kind of friend that doesn't just say hey to you on Sunday and ask how you're doing and then forget to listen as you talk to him. This isn't the kind of friend that's just your friend on Facebook, but you haven't spoken to him in 15 years. This isn't the kind of friend that doesn't actually want to be your friend, but wants to make sure that your acquaintance is on paper. This is the kind of friend that wants to live your life out with you through the good and through the bad, that wants to be there day in and day out. They want to be with you heart and soul. And friends, this is the right tool. This is what we're looking for. The friends that want to be with us, heart and soul. The ones that aren't going to just say, hey, I'm praying for you. But will stop right there in the middle of Walmart where you just happen to bump into them and put their hand on you and pray out loud for you in the middle of everything, not worried about what's going on because they truly believe that prayer is power. And they truly love you enough to put themselves out there like that. These are, are the people that are going to look out and they're going to see you struggling with whatever it is. And instead of ridiculing you or mocking you or turning their back on you or ignoring you, they lift you up and they walk over and they help you with your burden. Whether it's spiritual or financial or emotional or whatever. They come in and they lift you up. There's a couple of great moments like this that we can see in the scripture that I want you to see and understand what these friends look like. Uh, One happens in the book of Exodus as the Israelites are trying to, to make their way to the promised land. They get in a fight one time with the Amalekites and this is what's happening. 
Verse uh, verse 11 of Exodus 17. It says, As long as Moses held his hands up, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he let his hands fall, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and they put it under him. And he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur held his hands up. One on one side and one on the other. So that they remained steady until sunset. They came and literally held him up. I'm talking about the people that know your sin. The people that know your failings. The people that know your deepest, darkest, dirtiest secrets. But still want to come in. And help you find the path to get back to where you're supposed to go. To help you clean out and find the way to repentance that don't want to leave you hanging. Like this lady named Ruth. If you look at at Ruth chapter 1 verse 16. Ruth married into this family and her husband died. And her brother-in-law died. And her father-in-law died. And her mother-in-law says, well, I'm going to go back to Israel. You stay here. Go back to your family. This is what Ruth says. She says, don't ask me to leave you or to turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. And wherever you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me ever so severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. That's a friend, guys. That's a person that's going to come in and be the right tool to help you build your life towards God and to be strengthened and to have all the things that you need to have. Those are the people that we need to be searching for in our lives because here's the truth of it. We don't have the strength to make it on our own. A lot of us right now are sinking and struggling to keep our arms raised and we can't do it alone. But there's good news. There is a shining light because here's what happens. You don't have to do it alone. Let me say it again. You don't have to do it alone. In fact, not only do you not have to, you're not expected to. No one has said you need to do this by yourself. And anyone has told you that, they were lying to your face because you don't have to do it alone. If you are here right now, tuned into this place, to this message, to this time, whatever you believe about anything else, I want you to know this. You are surrounded right now by people who love you, who want to see you succeed, who want to see you build up your foundations and build up your walls and to bash sin against them to get it out of your life, even if they've never met you. They love you because God loves you. And they want to get to know you and want to get to know those deepest secrets. Not so they can have something to hold over you, but so they can help you to find your way through it and into the light. Things are difficult right now. I get it. I understand it. I know it. We are in a global pandemic that we have never experienced or expected to experience in our lifetime. And it is wearing on us. And we feel separate and we feel alone and we feel like we can't do anything. My wife is a homeschool mother that sits at home all the time and doesn't get the interactions that she needs except for me. And you've seen me. I get it. We're struggling. But you don't have to do it alone. 
there are people that you can reach out to. Uh, send that online viewer to 97,000 and let us know that you're looking for somebody. We will call you today. We will come and sit on your porch with you. We will meet you for coffee. We'll do whatever it takes to let you know that you are loved. And not just by God, but by us. Because one of the biggest tools in the toolbox of life that you need to have are the right people. Because you will never accomplish the things that God wants you to accomplish for your life if you don't surround yourself with the right people. So these are some tools that you can use. And like I said, these aren't all of them. I didn't even talk about fasting or, or journaling or so many other things that we can get into. But they are such a good start. If you can start by reading a little bit of scripture every day, set up the verse a day, that, that's, that's a start, that's a thing. Get it, the Bible app and start doing that. Start sending out prayers to God about everything that's going on in your life as often as you can and as often as you think of it, not with special words, but just to say, God, I know that you love me and I just want to let you know this is happening. And then surround yourself with the right people and see if your world doesn't change. And if your worldview doesn't change, and for the better, because these tools will help you build a foundation that will take you from being under construction to being a beautiful masterpiece of God, because that's his plan and goal for you. Let's pray.